Welcome to the Meltzone Podcast. This is episode 35 from May 31st, 2020. I'm Tom. And I'm Stefan. And I finally got myself a mini lathe. <laughs> uh, Tom finally got a Prusa Mini. And yeah, he did a couple of live streams. And one of them was the Prusa Mini unboxing a couple of days ago. And yeah. It's an interesting machine. Uh, fellow French YouTuber Heliox got her YouTube channel stolen by somebody we don't know. And we just yeah talk a little bit about how it would be kind of having your livelihood taken away just, just overnight. And a couple of things that you could do or, or that you can also do to save your precious social media accounts or anything else that is related to internet security. Um, researchers created an ultra-fast nozzle-based 3D printing technology where they use um, a filament that is statically charged and kind of guided in a way as the electron beam in a CRT is guided. And yeah, we have a couple of thoughts on that. And then next, yeah, carbon nanotube coated filament for heating it up at the location where you print to have better adhesion between the layers. It's that something that could be the future for really strong 3D printed parts. We'll see. And you know what you could use those really strong printed parts for? For accessories uh, that Miele, a German appliance manufacturer, has posted on Thingiverse. Some of them are more useful than others. We'll look at what they've done and, you know, some of the implications that has. We have a topic of the week again, finally. It's been a while since we've done that. Um, and this week we talk about, well, this this we're doing two weeks to four weeks per episode. Uh, this time we talk about printer maintenance and all the things that you should regularly check over on your machines. Edwin Boyer has sent me a DM uh, correcting me on some of the stuff I uh, said last episode with, his, with regards to his concept of a quick release bed. And lastly, we take a question about filament with sensors and how useful we think those are. Stefan. Yeah, yeah, you, Stefan, good to see you again. <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry for being so busy. The last weeks have, have been horrible and and I'm sorry that I just didn't uh, manage no, no earlier to find a bit of time to record the podcast. And uh, I think there are quite a couple of topics that have piled up over the weeks. Yeah, well, let's get started with the first one. You got yourself a lathe. You got a mini lathe. Congratulations. I, I got myself a mini lathe, even so I currently just... Actually, I don't have any time for it, but I want <laughs> to have a mini lathe since like forever. And then I think one or two years ago, this old Tony posted uh, yeah. a video of the mini lathe, uh, about the mini lathe. And I said, oh, I want to have one, but I don't have the space and stuff like that. Um Turns out two of my friends also bought themselves a lathe and I just couldn't <laughs> resist anymore. And to be honest, there have been things over the last years where I thought, why don't I have a lathe at home? Sometimes it would be really useful. Yes, all right. And uh, my wife is also asking me that from time to time. For what do you actually need a lathe? <laughs> I, I, I can't really say when I'm going to be use, using it. I kind of have a couple of projects in my mind, but just sometimes you think, ah, now it would be great to have a lathe and yeah. just 
turn something down or I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've, you, you got one. I've had one yeah. for probably I don't know eight years, ten years or something. Probably ten years now. Um, I got the the slightly smaller version. I got the three hundred ten millimeter long mm -hmm. one. You got the four hundred millimeter length. Yeah. Um, I mean, some people get offended that you even call that thing a lathe because it's it's so tiny. It's like the smallest <laughs> possible version of something that resembles a lathe and works like one. But it is it is surprisingly capable if yeah. you if you have the right tooling and if you mm. you know figure out how to use it. Yeah, like traditional machining rules kind of don't apply anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Um, well, maybe first point: the Proxon lathes are even smaller than. <laughs> Or the, the, okay, the smallest yes. Proxon lathe. Um, yes, they are not the strongest ones. Um, mine has a 500 watts motor. Um, the smaller version even only has like a 250 watts one. So that's, that's not a I lot. Yeah. But if you're not really taking deep cuts in, I don't know, steel, it yeah. is usually fine. And this thing is um, so wobbly that you won't be taking deep cuts exactly. in the first place. Um, so <laughs> I don't know if I, I'm going to regret that, but I basically took it totally apart just at the minute I got it, didn't really, well, try it out. Um, I wanted to, to <laughs> clean right. it up and put some proper oil everywhere and just tune it in. It is, it is a Chinese machine. You definitely notice that yeah. and things are, things need to be a couple of things need to be fixed that everything has little play and is not wobbling around that much. But I did a small part in brass and it looked fine and yeah. I enjoyed it. Oh, bra brass is nice to work with. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, on, on, on mine, um, well, the, the motor has been kind of messed up for a while and, and I recently have had a look at it and the bearings are all completely wobbly in the plastic uh, motor caps. I think the, the bigger motor might be better. I don't know. Um so I'm gonna have to to get a replacement mm. for that, and also the uh, what, what is the name? Just the cross slide, yeah, um, and the parallel Compo slide compound compound, yeah. Well, compound um, is the the most upper one, right? Okay, yeah. Anyways, those two that you have yeah. on your on your on your carriage, um, those have been super wobbly for me as well. Mm. So it's just a, a a bit of adjustment with the nuts. Actually, is is it that you have to tilt the nut to actually engage the uh, the threaded rod properly with the lead screw? Yeah. Uh, well, mine has a really nice mechanism for for those. Um, are, are you talking about the um, automatic feed or just no, 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 not, not okay. the half nuts, but the um, yeah. the actual nuts that engage the lead screw on your manual crank. So um, for the let me see for the cross slide. I think it's just a normal. It's a steel nut, uh, which is is fixed to the carriage, and the nut in the compound is that's directly integrated, and that's currently keeping me or giving me a bit of trouble because right. it's not properly aligned to the lead screw. Um, it's it's well, I still enjoy working on problems like that and trying to figure out how to get it properly running and um yeah I'm, I'm well i currently now have two weeks of vacation so i hope that i find oh, at least perfect. a little bit of time to to get it running properly yeah bought a lot of equipment to it like a um a college jug and uh yeah. a multi-fix tool post thing to uh, quickly Ooh, remove tools 
You got a quick change right away. A okay, quick change, that, that's yeah. one of the things that I'm still holding out on because they are quite expensive if you get they a proper are. one. Yeah. Um, you getting um, you getting carbide tooling? I just bought carbide tooling because uh, I don't want to fiddle around with grinding high speed steel. Even though the problem with working with carbide is that it needs to have kind of a fast cutting speed and this is sometimes hard to do on those small machines i don't know we'll see um otherwise i'll just buy myself a, a couple of um high speed steel um bars and grind my own, own tools yeah, i mean I've, I've, I've still got some if you want to try them out um i got myself a few um vintage knife platen holders what, what are they called um insert holders yeah insert tooling yep. um and actually, it's not been a problem to use those at all. Yep. Um, the only problem is, again, if you have backlash in your in your slides um, and your carbide tool catch is like that, that insert is gone. Mm-hmm. Like, there's nothing to save it. <laughs> um, but yeah, in, in general, I've, they've, they've been pretty good. So. Yeah. We'll see. It's, it's, it's just another tool in the workshop. I still need to figure out where I can properly place it. But... I don't know. I sometimes need need to do different things uh, yeah. just to keep me happy. And I haven't been using a lathe for 13 years, I think. And I was really enjoying it when I did it before I started uh, so you, doing my you, bachelor's. You actually have formal lathe training? I had formal lathe training for four weeks or something like that. Um, That's something. I didn't do an apprenticeship. But, well, did, did, didn't you also have to do that before you did your uh, uh No, studies? because I had, I, I had started a business before I uh, started studying. So they, um, that was accepted as your That's basic enough of an internship. experience. Yeah. yeah. So we were like for three months in our machining shop. So we started basically from filing parts to, to drilling, to tapping, to everything that, that you usually do in a machining shop. And then we also used uh, mills and lathes and stuff like that. And I just really enjoyed working on those machines, even though they were I 50 bet. years old, but they were great. I mean, that's, that's the best ones, right? Everything is still manual and you still yeah. need to to know the machine to actually get it <laughs> working for you. Yeah. No digital readouts, no no trickery like that. Yeah, yeah we'll see. I, I, I still hope that um, the mini lathe uh, can spark joy in me how marie kondo it, is saying <laughs> yeah yeah it, it definitely will uh get it cleaned up get it adjusted uh you've uh, you've already got the the collar check like well, that, that's a that's a good one um get some nice tooling yeah. it. it's definitely very usable yeah if anything it's better than not having a lathe yeah definitely yeah but you have also been pretty busy, so you, you're currently preparing your your basics series that is starting next already, week. Yeah, already in full production. So um, the first two episodes are planned for Friday, and then for the rest of June, uh, we'll have a total of ten episodes out mm-hmm. um, covering. Well, the idea is covering everything that a beginner is going to need to understand 3D printing, pick the right machine for them, uh, understand a few slicer settings, all that. Um, because of, I, I don't know if I said it before, but uh, Hackaday complained about getting into 3D printing being too hard. Okay. And being, you know, there's too much taken for granted. 
So <clears throat> that's the plan. Um, basically, I explain, okay, this is a hot end, that's a nozzle, that's how they work together. That sort of level of information. Okay. So yeah, that's that's in full production. Um, and the two unboxings that I did, <clears throat> was it yesterday? No, day before yesterday? Day before yesterday. Day before yesterday, yeah. Day before yesterday and the day before the day before yesterday <laughs> <laughs> where I did the... Uh, the Mars Pro, which is behind, I don't know if you can see that. Yeah, it's exactly yeah. behind me right there. Um, got the Prusa Mini out of the box. Um, people were like, hey, where? how how did you get a Prusa Mini? <laughs> well, Prusa is sponsoring the series as as the filament and filament printer sponsors. So <laughs> I was like, dude, if, you, if you're going to sponsor this thing, like, I better have a Mini. <laughs> They're like, okay, fine. We'll, we'll send you one. Uh, they currently, like... Five, four months September. of back order. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I, it's it's rough. I mean, they, they've been obviously impacted by by COVID nineteen shutdowns. Uh, they're ramping mm -hmm. up production again at where it is safe. Um, but obviously, people haven't been buying any less three D printers during during lockdowns. If anything, they've been buying more. Yeah, I I, I think so as well because on the one hand, people had more time, and there were well. I know a couple of guys that bought themselves a 3D printer just to be able to print uh, face shields, for example. Yeah, that, that also goes into that. So, cool. Um, so it's it's going to be a 10-part series every week, yes. two episodes? Yes, it's going to be brutal. I mean, I'm, I have no illusions about that. <laughs> uh, you know, whereas usually I, I produce a video every two weeks or so if, if it's, if, you know, on, on the best of times. I'm doing two per week. Um, but thankfully, it's not like a review where you have to do a ton of upfront research and, mm. and, and uh, you know, work before you can even start scripting. Mm. Uh, this is just information that I'm, I'm just putting from my head onto a, well, into Google Doc in that case. Um, and yeah, so I, I, can, I can script those. I don't want to say easily. It's still takes a lot of time to structure yeah. that properly but yeah but, but, <laughs> biggest video project i've ever done <laughs> uh you probably need a vacation after that probably yeah <laughs> I, we, we're already skipping uh, we're already skipping the bike tour uh with my dad this year okay uh we wanted to do france the uh the west coast cool um but yeah obviously travel is isn't well it's slowly ramping up again but at the time when we were deciding okay we're just not going to attempt it mm. it didn't seem like it was a good idea and i don't i still don't think it is i don't know so so things vacation is currently starting and basically oh, all the years in the past we, we have at least gone for for one week or something like that on on holiday just to to italy or to austria or something like that i kind of miss it at the moment i would be really happy to just be somewhere where i can uh, think about something different but nah, yeah have some good food nice views and and maybe some workout because i'm still getting fat uh, we we all are. <laughs> we all are. Trust but me. but as 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 uh, I ha have already told you before we started recording, um, yeah, our renovation work is is starting in the house, and yeah. that is keeping me busy as well. And some of the work I'm just doing around the house is also. 
kind of an exercise and that's that's kind of a good thing to get your just to get your head free and well in comparison yeah. of sitting in front of your your screen all day for sure yeah so you were mentioning you're planning to do solar um yep. they've um uh, I've, I've been wanting to to expand my system as well but uh one of the looming swords of damocles is, is is that something that translates into english whatever um one of the looming dangers was always that the um the feed-in tariff the, the guaranteed feed-in tariff um basically was capped in germany and mm -hmm. it looked like around this time of the year if your system went into operation after that you would not get any uh, any cash for the power you feed into the grid thankfully that has been canceled now and it's it's gonna you you're still gonna get mm -hmm. that that feed-in tariff how much it's gonna be I don't know if that is still if if that has been decided yet, but yeah. at least we can go ahead and and you know plan uh, new solar arrays. Cool. So if there were panels available, okay. So is that seriously not. a problem at the moment? Yeah, yeah. Okay. For for sure. If you, if you look at uh, if you look at the, the solar shops, I mean, you can go on a bunch of shops and basically wholesalers. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, you can get like a couple of, of panels, a couple mm -hmm. types of panels, but like the majority of them are out of stock. Okay. So, so well, the idea yeah. was since we are basically putting, well, a new roof on our house and with that new roof also adding a, a third floor to it, uh, we have um, scaffolding all around the house and that would be a great opportunity to put solar on the roof because you don't have to worry about falling of the roof when you install it but if if you're saying that getting getting those solar panels might might be a problem and uh the question is if it's if it's worth waiting for the next year because if supply is currently that low probably prices are are also up quite a bit well thing too is if you're if you're waiting for longer the feed interior is going to go down well, at least that's how it's it's been working for the yeah. last few years. Where basically every month has been dropping for or by one point one cent. Okay. Um, so if you wait a year, you get like one point one point two cents less for the power you feed in. Yeah. So at some point, really, it's it's just going to make sense to consume as much power yourself, which for mm. my setup, it it already is. Yeah. 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 We'll talk, talk to talk to your electrician to your solar dude and. Uh, <laughs> Maybe maybe he knows a guy who still has some panels. <laughs> we'll see, we'll see. Yeah, but 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 you're still charging your leaf, or do you now have another electric? I'm so the leaf is getting uh, sold to the uh, to the Peugeot dealership on June eighth. Yeah. So in a bit more than a week, um, that will be gone. Right now, it's still plugged in and it's being charged. Um, and then we will see at which point uh, I'll get the the E two hundred eight because well Peugeot factories were shut down as well so they they planned to have it available uh, end of beginning of May end of May okay so in May and right now I I don't know if this if they already have a delivery date <laughs> but yeah leave. Uh, uh, we've I've I've ranted about that before. Yeah, I won't start you on that. I, I I might do a video just about the the solar array and leaf because the the solar array has done twenty megawatt hours now, um, after a bit more of of two years of operation. Cool. It has produced twenty megawatt hours of of electricity. That is quite a bit more than 
well then you probably use yeah so it's it's about it's enough for about four households cool um yeah even, even though you're only yeah. having five kilowatt peak on your roof or how many uh 9.7 9.7 okay and you want to go over the 10 kilowatt. I, I wanted i wanted to fill up every last spot that i <laughs> that i could find uh probably go on the garage roof as well uh and go up to 30 okay because 30 is the maximum limit that uh the the grid operator is allowing me to have okay because they say okay if you have more you're gonna you're gonna actually overload our grid um <laughs> like every second house on on the street already has a bunch of solar from like mm. you know the early 2000s yeah um so yeah we, we do have a bit of feed-in happening <laughs> actually my my entire um gemeinde the uh municipality is producing more power than we knew than we're using uh more renewable power than than we are using in the entire okay. municipality again even though you're living next to a nuclear power plant <laughs> well that's that's a that's a different uh that's a different county even so. okay. <laughs> oh yeah cool um yeah, yeah. We'll see w when when our renovation is really starting to happen and when it's finished and and if I get solar on my roof. We'll see. I'm I'm really looking forward to having my well my studio expanded because currently it's totally everything is cramped in here and it looks horrible and I seriously want to do some renovation work in here and maybe even like in. Uh, thinking about this the channel name put put a real kitchen in there and have have a kitchen backdrop for filming have a, have a linus tech tip set yeah yes definitely uh, a fake window somewhere um i would really enjoy that but i don't know if that's gonna happen i mean let me know if you need a hand <laughs> i'd be up for that <laughs> you, you have already been installing an ikea kitchen didn't you yes yes four meters exactly four meters yeah took took a bit longer than expected but oh, we did that as well when we moved into that house because we we wanted to save uh, some money, but all walls are not straight and it was such a pain Ooh, yes. to get everything in there. Ah, oh. <laughs> but even though if if you don't take the the most cheapest IKEA kitchen, I'm really happy with it for the price. Super good. Oh yeah, me me too. Me no. too. Um, I mean, I've got the the mo well not the most basic fronts, but just the plain white fronts. Yeah, ton of drawers, but. Yeah, if if you got a different kitchen, it would have been like three times as much. Yeah. Welcome to the Melt Zone Kitchen Podcast, where we talk. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, we, we could be melting chocolate and stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, Channel name still applies. No. Uh, anyways, let's get into a few topics, should we? Shall we? Definitely. First top topic that also, well struck me a little bit uh maybe you guys um also know the french diy 3d printing youtuber ashi uh, heliox and it was i think two weeks ago or something like that uh, she, she posted on twitter uh guys my i can't log into my youtube channel anymore uh, somebody stole it and they uh want uh, they have put all of their um all of their videos on private and uh just added a message there okay if you basically want to have your your channel back you need to pay us x amount of money of bitcoins and that is yeah. quite scary when something like that, that happens and she also has like two hundred and fifty thousand subscribers so she's 
probably mm-hmm. basically also living from from her YouTube channel. And if just you wake up one morning and everything is gone. Yeah, need new underwear after that for sure. <laughs> um, so do, do we have any details? I mean, the, the post is French and I'm not finding the translate button here on, on Twitter. I don't know why that is, but uh, do we know how this happened and what the what the point of entry was? Was um, I don't know that she made a video after she got her channel back, but since my French is mm, is not right. that great, I uh, didn't get what was really happening. But um, it seems as if she was able to figure it out directly with YouTube and also with the help of some some other YouTubes that uh, YouTubers that got her um, well heard at their channel managers um, and they were able to well give her access back without her well losing her content and paying some thug yeah. money. Yeah, so I guess I guess the lesson to take away from this is don't use don't reuse passwords. Um, enable two-factor authentication if you can. Um, keep your Windows updated because I mean the, I'm I'm seeing some comments going like, "Hey, install malware bytes, whatever, on your computer mm-hmm. and check for viruses." Um, but typically, I think this is just a either a leaked password or brute force or or some mm-hmm. other social engineering uh, approach yeah so you That's... you would actually think if you have two-factor authentication activated it's really hard to get access right but well i don't know if she if she had or had not but there might be some ways around that either by having something installed on your machine and using that kind of as a proxy or i don't know but true it's it's just making me scary and when we talked about that before we started recording you also told me something about this wannabe youtube friends thing that that popped up and which i have also seen that comic uh comment comic comment on um a a couple of other channels but i don't know can can you uh just explain that a little yeah so apparently um there's i mean there's not a ton of information about it um there's this one video by even z111 or someone um who's explaining it and apparently there is a a youtube channel under the name of logan but the name apparently has changed that will comment on videos as like the very first comment and sometimes even on uh, unlisted videos so in theory, there should be no way that they would would have access to that video, but the comment "want to be friends" would already be there. Um, so to me, that sounds like they're either there's an exploit in the YouTube API and they have found a way to just scrape unlisted videos, or they're just trying out video IDs and are finding randomly finding videos and are commenting on them. Um, but the 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 actually scary story to that. First of all, that they shouldn't have access to unlisted videos. But the the scary uh, story to that is if you interacted with that comment, if you well, apparently somebody subscribed to that channel, um, or if you reply to the comment, um, the Logan channel or, or whoever was behind that would take over your account, lock you out of it, and well, I don't know if it was like a. a you know, pay us X Bitcoin to, to get mm. your channel back or something, but they would hack your your channel. Uh, 
the way the way Evans made that sound was like there was something malicious in that comment itself where if you I don't know looked at the comment on your computer there would be some malware that uh, or some exploit that would trigger uh, which to me kind of sounds implausible at least um, it's probably more something along the lines of hey the Logan channel is seeing that uh, somebody's interacting with a co- with a comment, and you know this is the the next one that we're going to target. Uh, how much of that is just Evans, you know, fishing for views, or, <laughs> or working with Logan, or whether it's actually an exploit that's happening? Not sure, but uh, what is very likely is that there are YouTube channels being taken over somehow. Mm. I don't know. I don't know what to to make of it. Um. (laughs) Yeah, I I need to check that out. I'm really, really interested to see that. But yeah, as I said, it's it's just scary to see something like like that happening. And I would also need a pair of new pants if if that would happen. If if that would happen to well to my work because this is something you you put your heart into and it's, it's basically your, your living well it's not only basically yeah. your living it's your living absolutely it's just... um yeah what 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 was going through my head is here okay this is google that's somehow being circumvented if it is something that doesn't have anything to do with your account or your past mm-hmm. with being compromised uh if there is a such a glaring hole in Google uh, or in Google service, YouTube, or technically Alphabet, yes, I know. Um, I mean, they would be the last guys or the last company that I would expect to have something like that unpatched. Mm. Um, yeah. FUD. Fear, uncertainty, and doubt, right? That's the, <laughs> that's, that's the vibe that I'm getting from this. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. So I, I'm happy that it worked worked out for her. And uh, ho- hopefully if it was an exploit, it's going to be fixed at some point. So we don't have to worry that much. Yeah. But guys, yeah. use two-factor authentication. Use a strong password. Change it regularly. Just yeah. common sense. Yeah. Especially if there's a YouTube channel that, that means something to you attached to it. Yeah. I have a problem in uh, 36 seconds because... I am currently seeing that my SD card is running out of memory, so I need oh, well. to change that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Just yeah, keep keep rolling. I will. Oh be oh back. oh. Okay okay. Um, so while Stefan is changing that, I'm gonna start with the next topic here. Um, researchers create an ultra fast nozzle based 3D printing technique. So this is something that was posted on 3D printing industry, and. It's uh, it's it's a really interesting approach. So typically, when you have a nozzle and you push some filament through it, you actually squeeze it against your existing print, and that gets attached to your previous layers. Now, what they've done, the researchers in Spain, um, is that they are lifting the nozzle up so far that they can actually influence the the, the jet of filament with a uh, electro electric field um, so they are charging the nozzle and the filament that's being extruded through it and then are basically deflecting that 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 stream of filament with 
electric charge. So basically, it's it's how the old um, CRTs, the old TVs, yeah, CRTs exactly how those used to work. Um, <laughs> how those used to work. It, it it's exactly like that. Um, it's just that the energy is a lot lower, and you're not going to get any any X-ray um, smashing through your bed uh, <laughs> with with a stream of filament that's that's slightly charged. Yeah. It's an interesting concept, and uh, it looks as if at least what they have done, the the filament thickness is is really thin, probably because um, you, well, you should get quite a bit of should get quite a bit of force if your electric field is is big enough. But they they printed a couple of like basic shapes, stars, and and circles. So it's well, really the, in the beginning. This- the star they're showing is just a, a crossover from some infill lens, isn't it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> because, I mean, the, the core problem that I'm seeing is, like, you're not going to get any sort of, of sharp corner out of this. Like, you, they're showing a lot of circles, which is what you'd expect if you just have a sine wave um, or an electric field shaped yeah. like a sine wave. Uh, you get nice circles, but sharp corners, I, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just not seeing it. Well, it, the question is if, if in the end that's just a thing of, well, tuning it to to get it working properly. Of course, you have inertia, so there will always be some control algorithm necessary that you get sharp corners and things like that. But may, maybe this is something for like in 10 years that <laughs> would be able to print faster, print more, more, well, smaller parts, and maybe even more precise if you take a look at at the precision of a, a CRT and what... How you're deflecting f- electrons that yeah. are flying through that at... at is, it, is it light speed? No, no. It's, not, it's not light speed there. No. Speed. Um, but they're a bit faster than a, uh, than a jet of, <laughs> of filament. Um, but... Yeah, the, the 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 thing that that I'm that I'm kind of curious about is how do they keep the filament warm and bonding at that distance? So typically, you have your nozzle as close to mm. the to the previous layer as possible because you don't want to lose any energy, any heat. Um, and from what it looks like, at least in these in these drawings or these these mm. rendered pictures here, is there's like as at least like a five centimeter gap there. Yeah. Well, um, you you could print in an enclosure that is above the melting point, but if it's above the melting point, also the thing that already well deposited yeah. on the bottom will will melt. Mm. Conductive heating? I don't know. <laughs> Conductive heating is is something that we're going to look at in a different topic. Yeah, but um, so they have schematics in that paper, and it shows a power supply between the heated bed and the nozzle well for once you can use that to charge up the filament but you could also use it for heating like the small strand of filament that is getting out of the nozzle the question there is just uh, if you want to start a new line at a different position how, how how would you handle that yeah i mean that the power supply i'm pretty sure is just for the static charge could be, um, could be, and if if you wanted that extra current flowing through the uh, through the jet, you need some sort of a conductive filament, or you, I mean, 
yeah filament every filament is conductive um but you need quite a bit of voltage to get a significant <laughs> current through a, a a regular pla or whatever filament they're using here yeah we'll see we'll see well it it, it looks as um an interesting concept and well it's always the question if if it's worthwhile maybe there is some more research happening in that field and it might be something feasible for the future uh wait a second so so i'm one one thing i'm just trying to find out here is this actually filament is this actually a molten plastic or is it some sort of a resin or a curable material nozzle at high volt voltage because a nozzle really can be anything yes Uh, versatility is use of metal or polymer or solvent based inks which can it, I yeah, don't know I mean, it's, it's, it's something we've just assumed but mm. I mean if it is um, like the the polymer jetting that you're seeing who's who's doing that um, you know what I mean we, we have basically like an inkjet head um, <laughs> HP is doing that um, I guess yeah <laughs> yeah polymer jetting um, if it's that then I'm pretty sure you can do that with a with an electron beam because then you actually have something that doesn't need to cool or that doesn't cool down or mm. something that it can actually um, deposit and and shoot out of that nozzle mm. in small quantities yeah and then you could, interesting yeah. for sure it is interesting then you could yeah. basically have a jet of like small bubbles of charged particles that you then can deflect using um yeah the the electrostatic field and that's that's exactly. may, maybe a little bit closer to like a crt works than uh yeah just having really a strand of filament going down but what they're showing is like a strand of some material being be it molten or or um a resin or something like that going down from the nozzle and then depositing in yeah. one continuous line on the print bed yeah i've i feel like i've seen this before but i'm i'm not sure yeah. it might just be the interview cool all right um Let's so let's actually pull this one up. So we've got carbon nanotube filament, yeah, <laughs> um, more or less, because it it fits into the idea of having uh, your filament heated. Um, researchers invent technology to remedy three D printing's quote unquote weak spot. Uh, so this is one from the Texas A and M U- University, um, in collaboration with Essentium they've created a filament that they are locally heating before they're applying the next layer to it. Um, and they're using carbon nanotubes. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, do you really need to use carbon nanotubes? I think we've talked about that before. It's like... It's a cool buzzword for investors. Yeah, you make carbon nanotubes small enough and it just it's just charcoal dust. <laughs> <laughs> um... But yeah, basically what they are doing is, or what they're saying is uh, the weak spot they're they're, uh, claiming here is layer adhesion in 3D prints, in FDM 3D prints, which I would agree is a weak spot. And what they're doing is they are 
printing a filament that is conductive using those carbon nanotubes and then they're locally applying an electric current just before they apply the next layer to it. So what they're suggesting here is either having like an actual brush or a wiper uh, that's actually conduct or connecting to your print and, and locally heating it or through plasma or I mean I, I don't know why <laughs> yeah okay plasma yeah you, you can strike an arc to your print um, yeah but it's it's a way to locally heat your, your parts and then well improving adhesion at the point where you really laid on laid on yeah. the material that you really have a melting of one layer on the other and not just that depositing action that not really fuses the layer to layers together. And um, well, it, it's always a problem that the polymer chains of the layer that was already there connect to the polymer chains of the one below. And for one, for that reason, it is just not that strong. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, typically you just get the heat from the um, from the filament from the freshly laid down one to kind of seep into the previous one and heat it up slightly. But yeah, good bonding. You do need both parts to be warm. Yep. So yeah, obviously you need a conductive filament to work with that. Um, but I'm pretty sure the, the general idea you could do with almost any filament. Like it, I'm just thinking like have a small you know halogen bulb or mm. something just locally radiating heat into that spot or a laser um, or a laser yeah sure <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of the opposite of a part cooling fan if you think about it yeah um isn't there a printer that that actually has a, a heated part cooling fan that has a very tightly controlled temperature of air blow is was it was MakerBots? i have I, never heard of know. that but it's basically that, yeah. right? It's it's you, you're, you're somehow locally heating mm. up. In this case, they are directly conducting electricity through that freshly printed part. Um, yeah, I guess you could you could do it in other ways as well. Yeah, and I think in one of the last episodes we already talked about that because there are patterns around which go into yeah locally heating the part using like the halogen lamp you you just said or lasers or stuff like that um yeah i don't know um conductive filaments are yeah are something that exists but also come with problems themselves um i don't know if that solves all of the problems that we have but we'll see. It, it would be interesting to see something like that at least being implemented in one of the more professional machines. But I don't think that even Stratasys that do a lot of FTM 3D printing um, do that local reheating. But what I have seen on Formnext by, I think it's a German company called Apium Tech. They have a peak 3D printer and in order to get around the mm. patent from uh, yeah. from Stratasys, they basically have a heated plate over like the area where the printer is currently working, and that uh, puts radiant heat into your part and keeping it warm. So you don't have a heated chamber; you only 
locally heat up the part. I don't know if if um, if that also helps with adhesion. Maybe you could even get your temperatures higher that way. But yeah, it 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 has been done a little bit for me as well. I I haven't read that uh, you can really get like isotropic material properties out of these parts in the end maybe you can with this maybe. uh we'll we'll see if if this i mean obviously this is something that's maybe not going to be available if ever uh to consumers at a price point that's reasonable mm -hmm. um but maybe somebody's gonna hack something up because conductive filament is something you can just freely buy um i mean protopasta makes some for example yep. um so i'm i i feel like somebody might just go ahead and try it out what if we what if we actually do what what, what you suggested uh earlier and actually with a conductive filament have a current between the nozzle and the printed part because that would locally add some extra heat into because that the nozzle itself mm -hmm. is conductive it would just start heating up right outside the nozzle mm -hmm. yeah that could just add that extra pop of heat once your, your fresh filament is deposited it could be working i'm quite sure that uh, there, there is already a, a, a patent for that but um yeah well i think one of the problems is that the conductive filaments that we usually see they have such a high resistance that this might be a well is it nah, a problem? just just add more voltage just add more voltage yeah it just yeah no 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 that's that's not a problem <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah give it a try i don't know <laughs> it would be interesting to see if that if that really helps you could just directly print on an aluminum plate or something like that to yep. have just well it's it's it is the same process as welding as uh, tick well kind of and what i have it is well it is not like tick welding like mig welding but with mig welding yeah. you have Do you? It's it's a I, bit like MIG welding, but um, there is a company that is called Virtual. Uh, I can't remember, but they invented a three D printing process where you basically push just a wire. Well, it, it looks like a normal FDM three D printer with a print plate that is conductive, and they push metal wire out of the nozzle and have a well voltage between the nozzle and the part uh, which results in the metal wire melting exactly at the point where it is touching so basically well, the it is welding <laughs> but um it well is it welding if if you're melting metal a metal rod to another metal part i'm pretty sure it's, that qualifies it's, it's, as welding, welding. Yeah. But i mean this this old tony even yeah. did some cnc welding um yeah. we, we made a, a little cup or a little mm. tube um with a with a mig welder on mm. a rotary table that's actually how I, how I found the channel i found this old tony <laughs> the first time uh, um well but the, the currents involved in MIG welding. Well, if you take a look at the process, I need I need to uh, just just remember the name. Um, if you see the process working, it doesn't look like 
normal welding where you have sparks and the plasma and, and stuff like that. Um, that just really looks like the metal wire is laid down and at the location where it, it meets the part below, it just melts in a puddle of material. Okay. Well, <sighs> if if somebody can point us towards that company in the comments and refresh our, our memories here, uh, that would be much appreciated. So maybe we can look at that in the in the next episode and see yeah. what exactly that is. Oh, I, <laughs> I know that feeling. Yeah, just can't remember it. Yeah, if everyone, if if someone knows, please please let us know. It's something called like virtual alloy or something. I mean, that vir- virtual virtual foundries not it. Um, they make. Is it? I mean, I've, I've just opened it up. Do they make like metal filaments? Uh, kind of like the BSF stuff. No, it's not them. Yeah. Anyways, okay. Uh, how do you how do we get here? Uh, conductive <laughs> push pushing current through a nozzle. Yeah. Somebody has tried that too. That would be that'd be kind of interesting. But yeah, I I, yeah. I can't see how that could go wrong. <laughs> Uh, yeah. I guess get, getting parts to stick to the aluminum would be kind of hard. But then again, uh, if you just have a, a plain aluminum plate, you also get local heating there. If you're not making complete contact, um, those few spots that uh, are in contact with the aluminum plate, if you just have conductive filament, those get locally heated and adhere more. Mm-hmm. So as soon as you have good bed adhesion, um, the current spreads out over a wider area mm-hmm. and doesn't locally heat that up anymore or that heat it up that much anymore. Well, if you uh, have so, if you have a PLA, uh, I, I think it would it would kind of work. Or you just use a perforated um, aluminum plate that you right. get some really um, how do you say formschluss um, in English? Um, you, you get it to interlock with the bed. Yeah, you get it to interlock with the bed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. Carbon, carbon nanotubes. Okay. Carbon nanotubes. All right, uh, next topic. Where is my window? Miele, Miele has published some 3D printing files. Yes, they did. Do, do, do you have any, uh, back on the topic of, of kitchen appliances, do you have any Miele stuff? I have, oh, let me think. I don't have any Miele kitchen appliances. Um, I think I well, I think at the point when we moved into that house, I, I did not have the money. But um, I think currently I w- would buy Miele equipment if uh, if it's if it's a washing machine or a dryer. Uh, they just seem to last for for like decades. Right. So, so for those of you not familiar familiar with uh, Miele, they are like the high end uh, German appliance brand, okay. um, and they have published. DIY printable files as accessories for uh, their vacuums, for their cocoa powder plier thingies, <laughs> uh, and a uh, vacuum adapter for your hammer drill, and a twin adapter for vacuums. So, uh I mean, there's always that talk about, hey, you can uh, print replacement parts for your appliances if, you know, uh, the most common one is the, is the dial on your washer brakes and you print a new mm-hmm. dial. Like that's, uh, that's been done before. That's a fantastic application and it's really simple. Uh, 
but obviously the next step of that would be hey this mounting bracket inside my washer broke and i need a new one and this thing is like 15 years old and i can't get a replacement part um the idea would be you can just download a part print it and install it and you'd be able to service your, your machine uh this isn't that so these are really just specialty use um adapters i mean the the vacuum flex nozzle the, the tiny uh flex nozzle that sounds kind of useful they've got a um what are they called siphon blossom Bub- uh, soap bubbles no is it <laughs> Uh, they've got an adapter for those soap bubbles. Okay. Soap bubbles. Yeah. Uh, they've got an adapter for those that you can uh, stick on the back of your vacuum on just onto the exhaust and just just blow some <laughs> bubbles there. Um, they're saying, oh, the ultra clean uh, stream of air out of the vacuum because obviously it has a, a HEPA filter in there, um, makes perfect bubbles. <sighs> okay, I guess that's that's a, that's just a bit of fun. Um, but they've, they've also got some, um, some useful stuff like a, is that an extra filter for the vacuum where if you filter up like a lost earring or something or vacuum up a lost earring, it's not going to get sucked into the back, but actually just has a, a little grid there. Um, they've published some more or less useful stuff. On thingiverse. So... Well, on Thingiverse, they, yeah, they're in Thingiverse. Um, they can only be downloaded on Thingiverse. So if if you click the link, you you get redirected right. to Thingiverse. Um, so b- basically, they are not providing spare parts, CAD for you to print out. Those are just additional accessories, some more or less useful. Uh, th- yeah, that you can just download and and print out, and some of them s- seem to be feasible. Um, it's maybe it's a good start. Uh, I don't know how many really print them out and uh, really use them a lot, but maybe at some point it gets us to the point where there are really things that break that can be downloaded and and uh, printed out. The thing that struck me a little uh, was seeing parts that get in contact with food so the spoon for coffee and also the like the small thing you put over your cappuccino that you can uh drizzle yeah. coca over it to get a heart shape you can you can use it as a stencil yeah stencil. and that's actually something that um <laughs> belviger <laughs> commented on um so yeah is is that really a problem if it's just like brief contact with your coffee powder to like scoop it up? So I, I got to be honest, I have been using a 3D printed coffee spoon for a couple of years at home. Um, and, and look at you now. Yeah. Look at you now, and look <laughs> at me now. Uh, it, it, it didn't kill me. Um, I think with dry materials, it's less of a hazard and most filaments are all right for food contact but the question always is what did you have in your printer beforehand how much lead did seep out of your nozzle during during printing uh we've been at that point before 
Yeah. Um, and the problem, as I said, I, that's not such a big problem with with dry materials. Are just all the cracks and um, pores that you have sure. on your three D prints, where where stuff can just, um, yeah. Can just stick and then bacteria start growing there because you're not able to 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 clean it properly. Um, it can be a it can be a problem. I think in those cases it's it's all right and acceptable, but still you should be at least a little bit careful in that regard. Yeah. So they've actually got a print note on the Thingiverse design. Um, Quote, only use nationally approved materials for the production of this component for food contact. Materials in contact with food must comply with the EU regulations, EC number 1935-2004 and number 10-2011 in the European Union and with regulations 21 CFR for the American market. Um, do you know of any filaments that are in compliance with eu regulations 1935-2004 and number 10-2011 i don't know these regulations (laughs) but i have seen materials claiming that they're food safe and they're also fda approved or i don't know so food safe filaments on amazon yeah make about pla what (laughs) (laughs) it's like the first thing that comes up um yeah i mean realistically there's nothing really toxic in filaments at least not in in concentrations where instant where where at the the instant it gets in contact with like a bit of cocoa powder it's going to cause any harm um and also the lead in the nozzle like there's yes there is some lead in brass nozzles um but the amount that can seep out i think we've done some napkin math on this uh is like so marginal like walking past an industrial plant probably gives you more exposure to lead mm. uh, than drinking out of a coffee cup made from PLA. Uh, but of course, since they they are a company, and who knows, somebody might sue them if they don't have that warning in there. That that warning is on there, obviously. Um, what they are recommending though is printing with PLA. So PLA in a dishwasher is not a great idea. So you would have to hand wash the parts when it comes mm. to um, like pores and and little gaps that stuff can can grow in so ah uh, yeah yeah material pla yeah so i guess it, at least printing in PG would maybe be a better choice so that it can go in the dishwasher because the dishwasher gets relatively hot right mm. yeah yeah I, I i do have a couple of parts in the kitchen that we for example use to well put our cutting boards on that they when they're drying, not stand in their own uh, yeah. water and gets really, really dirty and nasty. Um, and I regular, pu- regularly put those in in the in the washing machine, and that just helps to keep them a little bit cleaner. But uh, the f- the first batch that I did in PLA did did not survive the washing machine. It's totally warped and everything. PDG is, is better in that regard. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, dishwashers, even if you run it on the 30-degree setting, um, they will still heat up uh, to then dry your um, well, dry their content off to, I think, a bit more than 30 degrees. Yep. So, yeah, that that's when a PLA part is going to warp. Yeah. Um, as I said, I, I think it's 
it's not a real problem if if it only comes into contact with dry material. I would be I wouldn't be too happy if they had something that constantly sits in milk or something like that because that would get nasty so fast. Yeah, like don't print your baby bottles. Um, nope. <laughs> I don't think that that would be the, the best idea. Though, uh, if we're honest, like you can get uh, what's the polycarbonate replacement that Tolman also has? Um, not tea glaze. Ah, uh, it's uh, so if the the bottles that used to be polycarbonate they're now made from a different from a uh, PT base material basically um looks like polycarbonate smells like polycarbonate works like polycarbonate but it's bpa free you can get that from tallman um in filament form and if you use that with a proper nozzle i guess that you could print your baby bottles if you uh get rid of the cracks <laughs> don't don't print your baby bottles don't. no don't it's <laughs> no, still not a great idea <laughs> Yeah, Ugh. I don't know. I, I think it's a nice gimmick. Um, don't really know if that's going to be something that, that they will continue or if it was just a little project from an intern, even though these parts are nicely designed. So it, it seems yeah. that somebody who knows CAD did those designs. Um, but, well, where we actually want to maybe get in the future is really to get replacement parts for things that break but that's yeah. that's a total different story but obviously that's that's against the interest of these companies because they do want to sell either the replacement parts which usually are crazy expensive or you know if you can't get replacement parts new machines yep. so yeah Kreislaufwirtschaft yay <laughs> cool you put a put a nice topic in here that I guess topic of the week maybe uh, yeah could be called it has that charm. So I put printer maintenance yeah. in there because I have been printing, well, my Prusas and my um, artillery have been running like constantly over the last weeks. Um, they haven't been print printing now for, for a week or something like that, just because we are currently pretty good stocked up uh, in face shields but they have been running for quite a while and at some point i actually got printing issues with my prusa with one of my prusas <gasps> oh, the prusa is supposed to be perfect <laughs> yeah um so the the thing was um i noticed that the bed wasn't running smoothly anymore and at some point i noticed that the um that the linear rods do you say linear rods? That the metal rods smooth, on which smooth, smooth rods, rods yeah. on which the bearings run, they have been really well getting gunked up, and also the um, the bearings themselves didn't run smoothly anymore. So I cleaned everything. I put new, well, thin machine oil on the rods and into the bearings, and everything was running perfectly again. So the question that just came up in my mind was how much printer maintenance is really necessary what are the parts that should be maintained and and what is your just um well your idea or your your thought on that topic how much printer maintenance do you do well glad you're asking because i've got a video on that exact topic <laughs> um no i think i've done a video on that like two years ago and 
I mean, I, I do neglect my printers quite a bit. I, I don't I honestly don't do a lot of maintenance. Um but I've got the I've got one of my Mark III sitting here and it's yeah, it is in need of some uh TLC. So yeah, as you mentioned, the bearings, uh linear bearings, those are especially bad because they're cons they're constantly sliding on that rod, right? And you, you constantly mm -hmm. get a bit of oil or grease or whatever kind of leaking out. Um that's something that definitely definitely needs a bit of oil every now and then. Uh the other maintenance that I've that I've had to do on one printer is like the motor bearings were failing. Motor bearings because the be okay. the belt was too tight. Okay, um, but it's it's along those same lines, right? It's a it's a bearing that uh, that is just under load, and maybe if you're overloading it, it does fail eventually. <sighs> what else? So one thing that i noticed when did i notice that i think in the eight at eight unboxing stream is any sort of fasteners that fasten against a plastic part so mm. whether the, the bolt head sits on a plastic part or the, or the nut or the helicoil or whatever is in no, on a helicoil i think it would be good but anyway we have um a pressure of your bolt head against the plastic part that is going to set slowly over time so just retightening all those bolts that are tightening against plastic and just checking stuff that moves, right? Uh, so what can actually happen is your filament can wear through um, the filament guide on top of the extruder, for example. Or if it's guided sideways, it can just eat through. What, what, mm. what printer have I seen that on? Um, well, the Endo 3 type printer, they have mostly their filament right on top and it goes in a really right. sharp angle at the, the lever where the... Um, uh, where the feeder is and um, my one of my printers actually has that problem that I've also been using for face shields the the Endo 3 Pro has actually a metal insert at that location because it was right. wearing out for a couple of other people yeah so things uh, wearing through um, and anything that moves really right yeah but what I also have noticed and, and seen in the past is cleaning your fans and also your heatsink um, because that can accumulate quite a bit of dust um, over the time. And True. especially when you're printing PTG. Oh, yes. I have been printing tons of PTG over the last weeks, um, which was mainly working really well. And it was, um, in terms of smell, way more pleasant than printing P uh, PLA in, in my basement. So when I started... Um, printing face shields when I did PLA on five machines there was really a, always a horrible smell down the basement as soon as I switched okay. to PGG for all of the machines um, it, it wasn't really a problem anymore so I, I, I don't know um, it seems that the PTG is not emitting as much particles or something like that well just but, because you can smell it doesn't mean that they're yeah, not there yeah so ju just the fact that you get that that white buildup on your fans on PTG, yeah. I mean that indicates that there is something no. significant being emitted from no. from from PTG yeah. filaments as well. So yeah. what I then had was after printing tons of PTG, um, my well extruder head was looking horrible as if a like a ton of spiders have been living yeah. in there because lots of really tiny small strings have been accumulating all over it and even um, blocking the fan from time to time. So the Prusa has a fan blocking warning. So um, it yeah. actually has the um, 
uh, no, it's not P, it's P, it's not PWM, it's the Tacho, Tacho signal. Which also is a PWM uh, feedback. Ah, yeah. yeah, PWM feedback. And as soon as it noticed that it's, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, something like that. Um, so I had it happening, I think, once or oh, twice that uh, the print really stopped and said that the hot and cooling fan is jammed, and I just found a big blob of hairy stuff in there, which um, yeah ma made it not turn anymore. And so I really had to start cleaning all of the fans after every second or third print because there was always just this that big... often yeah but i was also printing ptg at i think 250 degrees celsius just that i can push okay, a lot of material so yeah. through the nozzle um it seems to have taken its 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 toll on that and i didn't notice that before but this is something that is is kind of bad with ptg and i haven't seen seen before but yeah, yeah. so Dusts, particles, strings, they can accumulate. Um, and you should uh, yeah, just, just clean those parts from time to time. Um, if you have those V-slot extrusions with the plastics, roller, plastics rollers, there can also be quite a lot of, I don't know, gunk from the rollers accumulating over time. Yeah, so you get some some wear from, especially mm. if you if you have the uh, palm rollers. Yeah, those do create some dust, and then once it gets caught, it gets compressed. Yeah, um, kind of the same as for the for the, you know the same thing. It it's something that moves. Mm. Yeah. Um, extrusion. What about path. the hardened? Yeah. Yeah. Extrusion path. What? Exactly. Uh, so most actually because I've still got it open, so. Technically, the uh, the signal coming back from the fan is a PWM signal. Yeah. Inverted though, uh, it's just called s sensor. So okay. yeah, PWM typically refers to the input to the fan, how fast it should spin. Anyways, um, in early designs where you still had hopped bolts uh, that actually had like an M4 threading on them, uh, one of the issues was that that threading because it's, it's kind of knurled around your your drive gear. Um, would clog up over time uh the, the newer profiles and especially if you have something like a, just a, a spur gear um those are self-cleaning so as the filament pushes into those teeth it kind of pops loose anything that might be in there from shredded filament or something uh that used to be much more of an issue now it's just like okay the geometry is open enough where any gunk will just fall out mm -hmm. um but extruder gears can wear down over time yeah so especially if you have uh, a threaded brass or non-hardened steel mm -hmm. um, those can get dull over time yeah and then for the hardened itself i mean on the purchase you've got the all metal e3ds not much to do there i guess other than maybe every now and then a cold pull or a nozzle swap yeah i so with the prushas i basically had no problems at all besides the sticking bed and the material that gathered in the fan. The only problems that I had was one batch of bad material that constantly clogged the nozzle. So I had to, well, switch the nozzle and, and burn out existing ones from time to time. But if you don't have bad, bad filament, I have been printing like tens of kilos of material without any issue of like material gathering inside of the nozzle and, and clogging it up over time but i also tend to do quite a lot of cold pulls just when i do filament changes because then the nozzle is clean right from the yeah. start yeah 
Um, with Teflon land hardens, though, um, that Teflon bit that actually goes into the uh, into the heater core or heater core into the heater block, um, I I would consider that a consumable. Yeah, because it does. I mean, it is still a plastic. It it does still soften up when it gets hot. So over time, it's just going to deform, and at some point, it's just going to close up at mm. the bottom, and you're going to get some really weird extrusion issues where it's like, you know, it works mm. for two minutes and then it stops extruding like what's what's going mm. on um so that's something if you have a, a teflon and hot that just sometimes needs replacement especially uh, if you're using higher printing temperatures so yeah. i think if you're only using pla and print at 200 or 210 degrees celsius it's not such big of an issue but also again for me since i have been using well i have been printing ptg and also pla at 240 250 degrees celsius i basically had to just cut off the last few millimeters of the pdfe tube every week because it really got deformed and brittle and was causing extrusion problems right so that's on a printer that has the bone tube directly going into the heart exactly hard. yeah right so, re- so where, where it really got reality hot. style yeah. reality yeah. style um some hardens have a different have it differently where you have um a separate piece of pt ptfe mm. just in the harden itself um and obviously you can't really cut that off because then you're going to have a gap so on those you really do need to replace it mm. yeah but that is also something that just i noticed and i wasn't really that aware of it that if you're really printing at the temperature wa- range of temperature um <laughs> at at higher temperatures where uh, you were almost at the border where the ptfe is starting to de- to degenerate it will yeah. still wear out over time so yeah, yeah. just keep that Prus- in mind prusha have a asa profile for the mini which prints at 260 degrees or at least at least the, the, the screen is showing a preheat temperature of 260 um oops i'm pretty sure it's the same temperature for in the slicer actually i can i no, I don't have it looked uh, installed. No, um, but yeah, that is that is pretty ballsy. I'm gonna say. Mm-hmm. Well, I I think in the end there can be different grades of PT uh, PTG PTFE, yeah. and uh, maybe the cheap ones will wear out quicker. And if you have a higher quality PTG, it might be able to withstand 260 degrees Celsius over a longer amount of time. But 260 degrees Celsius is really just right at the edge. Yeah. Uh, I got kind of scared because in the uh, self-test, mm-hmm. the printer itself sets it sets the hardened to 280 degrees. Okay. Uh, but then it stops heating at 180. Okay. So it's just like, it, it's setting itself to the temperature and just seeing, mm-hmm. hey, I want full heating power. Like, <laughs> Did you, you already really... pull out your gas mask? Yeah. Uh, is Prusha trying to assassinate me here? <laughs> <laughs> like, but okay, it, it stops before that. So, wow. Yeah. Um, so that's that's the hot end. Um, beds? I mean, it really depends on what sort of a bed you're using, right? Uh, yeah, clean it regularly. So yeah. I mostly print on PEI and just at some point I noticed that the parts don't stick properly anymore just because yeah. of all of the collection of, of dust and also my hand grease while removing the prints. Yeah. So I just <laughs> regularly clean them and that's usually fine. Uh, re-leveling yeah. could be something if if that's an issue. But otherwise... 
I don't know. Yeah. Um, I guess one thing I'm going to add is just double check your electrical connections. Like if there are, particularly if there are screw clamps in your machine, yeah. um, and I mean, if there are tinned wires in those, like rip out the tinned end and, and just get a fresh non-tinned end in there. But just the connect, especially the connections of uh, the power supply in hot end heater and heated bed out. Mm-hmm. Like those are some that you probably should be checking and just seeing, hey, are, are you really still tight mm-hmm. or can it pull you out by hand? Um, yeah. I didn't watch your whole live stream. Did you check the connection to the bed of the Prusa Mini? Oh, that uh, that's for nuts. No, yeah. no, I can I can check that right now if you want to. Because I'm I'm quite excited. So my Prusa Mark II will get an overhaul probably in the next two weeks, just because it it has done quite some miles. And um, I still remember that it is also clamped in the same way as it is on your Prusa Mini. And I'm quite quite excited to see if I see loose screws in there and also some some problems with um the connection heating up so this mini is assembled in exactly the same way that we talked about earlier or in an earlier episode so the our cable shoe is not on the copper uh that is correct so the crimped connectors at on the bottom and yeah it doesn't look like there's copper on the bottom nope no copper on the bottom, so the entire current is going through an looks like a stainless uh, M3 screw. Okay. Which I think we we figured out isn't that much of an issue if yeah. you look at the uh, at the resistance of an M3 screw, but um, <laughs> could be done better. Yeah. Well, uh, I have seen that you got I think half a ton of filament. Um, if you push that through your Prusa Mini, um, that might be enough data to see if, <laughs> if it's working out for a longer period of time. Yeah. I'm or just use it to, to heat up your office. <laughs> Leave it constantly running at 100 degrees Celsius. I mean, it's it's really the um, the temperature cycles that would uh, deteriorate a connection like that. Yeah. So I guess I could have it at a stress test, just leave it running for a week and uh, <laughs> always have it heat up full blast and, and cool down. And probably move the bed always all the time from well, to yeah. its limits, that you get some some stress on the connection. Yeah, they've they've got some some interesting sleeving on here, which is a heavy nylon mesh. But but is isn't that the same one as it is also on the Mark III? Because mine also has this like fibery okay. looking stuff on there. Okay, they they may have they may have changed that. Um, because the Mark III I'm looking at right now uses spiral wrap. Okay, no, yeah, that has been changed. Okay. So you're, so you're not up to date. Uh, well, hold on. Do you have a Mark III S? I have a Mark III S, yeah. Okay, so yes, uh, this, this is the original, but the OG. Also, in my upgrade kit for my Mark II, the, to the Mark 2.5, there was also this fabric sleeving included. Okay. Yeah. So it's probably something they, they switched right all early on. Right. Um yeah, so maintenance, that connections, yeah, electrical. Like like I said, just have the um, double check your screw connections. Make sure no no wires are kinked. It's it's just it's kind of like with your car where it's like, hey, you know, inspect optically, visually inspect that uh, 
you know, the belts aren't cracked and your tires are still looking good and mm-hmm. the brake discs don't have any holes in them, um, like that sort of thing, which nobody does because usually it's fine. Um, <laughs> but when there is an issue, like you could have caught it. Yeah. Um, you talked about belts that were tensioned too much. Also, yeah, yeah check belt tension from time to time. Just, how do you say that? Uh, just p- plug your belt just like the string of a guitar and and see if it makes a sound and if it doesn't it might be too loose well what what note do you usually go for i i don't know if you, if you guys can hear that i'm a really that's bad like musician a... oh yeah oh that's pretty high so the, yeah. the x-axis on the mini is is like a bass guitar yeah it's bass yeah, I, I don't know what that is. But. Do, do you actually know how Prusa is determining the the pretension value that you can that you get after you run the self test on the Prusa printers? Um, I believe that is just the resistance that the Trinamic drivers are reporting. Okay. Um, there's. I, I mean, it's not directly measuring the belt. It's just okay. There's so much resistance on this that now um, the motor is turning a bit harder something okay. along those lines um yeah that's that is done through the step yeah. drivers so there there is actually fancy belt tension measuring equipment out there but i have been to the e3d tool changer assembly line last year and what gates so the belt manufacturer what they're actually providing for their gates belts in order to determine the pretension of the belts, they have an app that you can download on your tablet or on your phone. <laughs> and you do exactly that. You you plug your belt and it will do an, uh, an FFT and determine the note that it's playing and tell you, okay, you need to tension it more or less. That is, But you, you do need the belt length for that, right? You probably need the belt length because yeah. otherwise it, it would not work. But this is actually how they're doing it on the E3D tool changer assembly line. They have a tablet there and plugging the... Well, I mean, it is it is very accurate. We can measure frequencies very, very accurately. Yeah. And, you know, just getting one of those those proper tension gauges um, uh, seems a bit excessive. Yeah. <laughs> for, hey, you, you bump it once and the attention is off anyways. Yeah. Yeah, so maybe just to conclude that, um, it, it is a good thing to just take a look at your printer from time to time and do at least some basic things or only just taking a look at it or maybe just listening to it once or twice in a month if something well, the, the, strange um, might actually already save you from some trouble the thing is if, if there's a, uh, an issue gradually uh, developing like you're not going to really notice it just by by sound or by looking at your print output um especially when when for example print quality just just, just slowly mm. degrades because i don't know bearings are going mm. bad or something probably not going to notice that you're going to be like oh, I, I thought i, I mm. thought i remember this thing printing more nicely but yeah. maybe one nice. one thing yeah. i could also add to that sometimes oh, I'm, I'm missing the english words but sometimes it's good to make maintenance before something breaks instead of waiting until something breaks and then changing it out that could be your ptfe tube even though your extrusions are still fine it might be a good idea to just snip off a bit of it and make it work properly again and not have well a big print fail just because at that point you yeah. just crossed the border and this is preventive the same. maintenance preventive ma- yeah 
Is it print preventive? Preventive. Pre preventive. Pre preventive. <laughs> preventive maintenance. Yeah. I, 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 I've been talking for too long. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, but I think that that goes for anything. Like whether it's a, it's your printer, your car, your computer, your you know, uh, a handful of something is worth. There is a saying for that, which of course I, I can't recite properly. <laughs> All right. Uh, Anyways. I got a comment from uh, from Adrian Boyer. Adrian um, Boyer himself. Yes, the man himself. Um, clarify, clarifying uh, the, the our our confusion about the word solenoid. Um, so apparently, what he's been referring to with solenoid, and that's apparently also what's like the official English definition of solenoid. Though I've in 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 my world, I've, I'm not using solenoid that much. Um, it's just a coil. It is literally just a, a wire wound in a coil shape. And um, what he's proposing is a static electromagnet. So not the solenoid mechanical. I'm, I'm guess I'm going to get a message from him in a second here that uh, <laughs> what's, what's that called? Um, but just an electromagnet um, holding it down, not anything that actually pushes the bed up. So that for heating. Um, and then you turn it off once uh, the print is done and you want to swap out a bed. So that is the clarification from, from Adrian. I probably made that a lot less clear than the way he wrote it, but um, yeah. Uh, we also got one comment from Bill Campbell. Um, Tom, your hook idea pulling a bed off is going to cause motor skips or loss of position. Um, I, I, It's not my idea. I'm just... Uh, might be Adrian's idea even, but uh, not my idea. Just want to make that clear. What, what um, was the hook idea? That you basically, you move your bed, your printer, you turn off those solenoids, um, you move your bed to the front, it clips into, a, mm. into something uh, mechanical there, the printer moves back its y-axis and basically pulls the bed off. Yeah. Um, and Bill is saying, hey, that might cause motor skips or loss of position. Um Maybe, yeah, probably. But, you know, if there's one time that I don't care about loss of position, it's right before a print. Right. <laughs> That's when you're homing anyways. Yeah. Um, and yeah, if you have any sort of retention turned off, like it should slide off fairly easily. Yeah. So. Yeah. So that's that's that on the... The big question is only how you get a new bed on. Yes. Yeah, straight. But. Yeah, <laughs> getting the old one off, I think, is yeah. is doable, but getting the new one on might be, might be tougher. Yeah, cool. Robot pa arm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pavel is asking, question, filament width sensor, thoughts? You built one, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, I built, I built a few. Um, filament width sensor, so the, that's, that's a pretty pretty broad question like filament with sensor for testing filaments or for real-time compensation during a print or for determining the quality of that i don't know but I'm, I'm assuming that question is meant as hey should your printer have a filament with sensor and uh, real-time compensate for fluctuations in diameter um and it yeah I, I engineered one i built one it works fantastically um 
there is, but that there is a weird cycle going on. So when I first designed that sensor, uh, it was for making my own film and for trying to have a feedback loop there. And I was like, okay, well, that's nice. If only we could real-time compensate on a printer as well. Then like two years later, Marlin added that feature that he could just hook up basically the exact sensor that I made and real-time compensate your E-steps for diameter fluctuations. But at that point, filament had gotten so good that it was like, you know, what's the point? Um, mechanical inaccuracies have more of an impact on, on how your print is going to come out versus actually on Prusament. It's really cool. Um, then the marginal fluctuations of the diameter you're going to have. So if you look at this graph that's provided here on the on, on Prusament, um, you actually see the measurements from them from during the print. Uh, during the print, during the extrusion. And it's rated as 1.75 plus minus 0.015 millimeters. This is their new PC mm. blend. And you look at the graph and it's like, yeah, you can see a bit of wobble, but I would I would guess that it's just bouncing between 1.74 and 1.76. Mm. Um, so, I mean, yeah. There's no point compensating for that, really. Yeah, uh, it is such a marginal difference. Uh, so yeah, my, my filament sensor has just been sitting idle. Violin um, supports it. You can hook one up. You can real time compensate, but uh, probably probably not much of a, of a point unless you're mm. using self made filament. Yeah, but I don't know if it how it works if you have a really well fluctuation over a short length um, you would need to take into consideration how far your measuring point is away from like the nozzle that, where you're melting that is being taken into, con into consideration I think oh, okay that is in in more than okay so yeah that's pretty cool last time I checked <laughs> but then it would actually need to buffer those values in yes. some way and at the beginning of your print you would not get compensated uh, mm -hmm. diameters Especially if you have a long bone, like you would need to flush out uh, the entire bone. Yeah. So, yeah, I I actually had the same thoughts. Filament has gotten has gotten so well. If you're not purchasing like the five dollars a kilogram P uh, PLA roll from AliExpress, it's usually not a problem anymore. Still, I also experienced similar issues with. A quite expensive filament in the past um, where the diameter was really badly changing over um, over the roll uh, but that was probably just due to like the first runs of, of extrusion where they did not dial it in properly but um, still right. we need to take into consideration that the usual plus minus 0 0.05 millimeters of diameter is a variation of 10% in, in material flow. So yep. if, a, if a material is within that specification, um, it can still severely fluctuate during a print. Um, if that is a problem, mm, you could argue um, for a mechanical part, I think it, it could impact the the strength of the part for visually appearing parts. If it's gradual, I think you wouldn't notice it. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, you, you can change your, your slicer extrusion multiplier by five percent typically, and you're not going to see much of a difference. But strength-wise, for sure. Um, 
But yeah, 0 0.05 is quite a lot uh, in deviation. Here is me hoping that most filaments are just better than that. So like <laughs> like I said, this PC blend is 0 0.015. Mm. So one third of that. Um, and I think at that point it's just, yeah. If you, if you have good filament. The, the difference in... In extrusion, depending on the speed that you're printing, is probably higher than the difference in yeah. um, in material flow that you're getting due to a change of filament diameter. So, yeah. um, but but maybe it's something I can test for for filament 3.0. Just um, set up a, a contraption where it just pulls an entire spool through mm. two sensors just to measure it uh, at 90 degrees or 45. Oh, it doesn't matter. Um, and just get a, a standard deviation and the diameter profile over the entire spool length. Yeah. And uh, compare really cheap filaments against, I don't know, Prusament or some, some other brands yeah. that um, praise themselves with having a small diameter deviation. Yeah, or just verify what they're putting on the box, Ooh. Um, and and make sure that because this these are printed for every single spool, right? Yeah. These are um, these are measured, and we get the QR code that he can look up mm. the details for that spool in in detail. Um, yeah, and that that would be something to to verify. Cool. So so if if we are not seeing something. Uh from you being posted in the future uh you have <laughs> discovered something and uh can't can't tell that to the world because you're a prusa shill or <laughs> <laughs> no it's, it's, it's just gonna be a while until i have filament 3.0 uh, done yeah. i actually tried to do the same but my filament with sensor didn't work probably as well as yours um because i wanted to do the same for my filament extruder uh, but I need to right. get back to that, and maybe I either adopt your setup or just do it in a different yeah. way. Uh, if if any the plans that they're out there on I, the internet, I think somewhere. I think you have sent me them already. You're using or, or that I uh, I may have sent you a, a complete sensor even. Uh, I, I think not, not a sensor, but we have already talked about you using a hall sensor or something like that. Yeah. yeah. So it's an analog hall sensor and a magnet, basically removing the magnet in and out. Um, and you can measure that you calibrate it once with like a drill bit, mm. uh, because those those at least you can verify with calipers. Mm. And you have a lookup table. It's actually the same. It's it's code literally ripped from Marlin. Uh, that, <laughs> that lookup code um, that just sees okay, this is the value I'm getting from the hall sensor, uh, and then linearly inter interpolates it um, between the values you've calibrated in. Cool. And that gives you, I'm gonna say, pretty good results. Okay. From what I've seen. Interesting. All yeah. right. I think that's it for today. Pretty much. Yeah, I guess one last thing. We got a, we got one more complaint about name uh, pronunciations. Okay. So Manic, I know Wheat uh is complaining about that as well. <laughs> and yes, I've 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 intentionally mispronounced it again. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see how many variations we get out of this name. <laughs> All right, Tom, it was great talking to you again after oh, almost four weeks of not doing a podcast. I hope next the next one is going to be earlier. Well, yeah. I'll be busy, but you'll, I'll, you'll I'll be try busy. to find time. 
oh i just unplugged something i guess that's a that's the perfect moment to to call this one uh good all right Stefan, thank you for the time as well um what do we say guys if you if you like this subscribe on youtube or on your favorite podcast platforms uh, you can find our patrons linked below if you really enjoy what you're doing and yeah thanks for listening yep and we'll see you in the next one goodbye goodbye <laughs>